Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. As usual, our guests are amazing, and we have another one. His name's Joshua Stroud. His family founded Conscious Cultivators, one of the premier organic farms in Oregon, one of the premier top-tier organic cannabis farms in the state of Oregon. One of the greatest organic cannabis farms in the Northwest. Incredible farm. He's here with us. We're going to talk to him. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That's bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil on the market. And the reason that is... It's because it is developed with a proprietary extraction method called the HIT extraction method developed by Howard HIT, a.k.a. Big H, and it is 100% natural. There's no chemicals, no solvents, no gases are used in the extraction process of this product. So it's unlike anything on the market. And Howard uses 100% organic, organ-grown hemp to extract the CBD for his oil, which is also 100% organic. And normally, if you've been listening in the last few weeks, I've been telling you about the Midnight on Earth discount code that I have with Blue Cobra CBD. But today, we're taking it to an entirely different level. I'm not sure if... Howard maybe got into the wrong bottle. Maybe I left a bottle of THC oil at his house. I'm not sure what happened, but he's giving away free bottles of Blue Cobra CBD. Literally free. It's like free money. These bottles cost $39.95. He's giving them to you for free, including the shipping. All you have to do is one thing. First, you go to bluecobracbd.com and there you go to the contact section to find his email. And I'm just going to tell you what it is right now. bluecobracbd at gmail.com That's bluecobra C B D at gmail.com, the at symbol at gmail.com. You send him an email, tell him that you heard this on Midnight on Earth, and he will send you one bottle free of charge anywhere in the world. You don't have to pay shipping, you don't have to pay anything. He wants people to try this product. There's really nothing like this product, I take it daily. You can put it on your body topically, of course, for muscles, things like that. 
I put it in my shake in the morning because you can put it in your body. It's 100% organic, like I said previously. And it's incredibly beneficial. And Howard wants you to experience this. So if you go to bluecoverCBD.com, you send him an email, tell him that you heard about this offer on Midnight on Earth, give him your address, give him your name, and he will, or wherever you want it shipped to, you can create your own name, just have a valid shipping address, and he will send you a bottle to try free of charge. If you're listening to this, you have to take advantage of this. It's incredibly generous of Howard to give away something that's so high quality that he feels has benefited people that he knows in his life and so many people that have told him about their experience with it. And he wants people to try it and he loves supporting this show. I, I, I'm absolutely honored that he's willing to be a sponsor because his product is so amazing and he's such a cool guy. His family's amazing. Blue Cobra C B D at gmail.com. And he wants people to try this. So send him an email and get a free bottle valued at $39.95. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That's one more time, bluecobracbd.com. Send him an email. Get a free bottle. bluecobracbd at gmail.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. If you haven't done that already, please go to Instagram and click the follow button that connects us. So you know, when the episodes are going to drop, you know, what's going on, whatever we're doing in midnight on Earthland, you're going to figure it out instantly. Cause you're going to get a notification Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, Click the button that connects us. And of course, the most important thing is tell a friend, tell people that you know that want to know about conscious cannabis cultivation, which is what we're going to talk about. And, and just all the other topics that we talk about on the show and all the other guests that share their life experiences, help your friends and family members that need to hear about this, know about this show. Please tell them midnightonearth.com. Okay. I told you about blue cover CBD, got my social media shout out out of the way. And now we can talk to Joshua Stroud of conscious cultivators. But first I'm going to tell you a little bit about his life. Very rough bio that we have here. Joshua Stroud is a organic grower and has been a pioneer in the organic gardening community. Growing organically since 1996, Joshua has created a legacy of not just unique genetic strains, but also forwarding the understanding of why organic gardening is so beneficial and also just the organic gardening movement in general in the cannabis world. His family founded Conscious Cultivators together in 2015 and in 
and it is a premier top tier farm with award-winning strains such as Big E and UW. And he's here today and we're going to talk about why it's important to grow organically and also just conscious cannabis cultivation in general. Thank you for being here, Josh. Hey, thanks for that introduction. Blessings and respect. That was a good one. Thank you. And actually, I should say thank you for letting me be here because I'm at the mysterious headquarters or sub headquarters of conscious cultivators deep in the jungles near Eugene, Oregon. So he's allowing he's allowing me to be here remotely. So I super thank you for that, Josh. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, welcome to uh Hash Hills, we've dubbed it. Yeah, you know, there's cannabis in the air. I might have ingested some of that cannabis prior to this interview. Oh, yeah, on your way out here, you you pass many uh, the ganja field, hemp field, and, and even rec farms these days. So. <laughs> yeah, Who it's legal. You and you were involved here in to it. There. You were involved in it. You've been open publicly I mean, have you? I think you have. You've Actually, been, we just got licensed recently. It's been a long, you know, build up to, uh, you know, wait, waiting in a queue, so to say, to have the state uh, issue the licenses to different farms. And they've sl- slowly come on board. But just this uh, coming week, we'll have our third uh, production farm up and running, which will be a, a mostly breeding facility for nice. new strains coming along and you know some of those uh developments will turn into uh batches going out to the market and stuff like that but uh even about a month ago we got the nursery license up and going and working on the strains that we have already developed for the that upcoming uh you know spring rush of everyone wanting to plant and sort out their strains for the year and things like this um but you've been very open in the past about your life prior to legalization. Yeah. You've always been forthright about your life as a career cannabis grower. And in order to be a career cannabis grower, it automatically implies that you were growing prior to legalization. And and that's the period of your life when you were honing your skills. Yeah. Well, really it it began out of, um, you know, curiosity and, necessity even uh, my mom was issued one of the first uh, medical I guess prescriptions back in 1996 in California oh wow and so um, once that happened we were able to you know play around with some strains and grow some things for her to try to help her with um, just different ailments she had from a prior injury near fatal injury in the 80s that left her with a brain injury and some other, um, you know, lifelong issues to deal with. But around uh, the late 90s, she found out she had a diagnosis of of kidney cancer. And we, you know, doctor tried all sorts of things. And we already knew cannabis as a medicine in our family at that point. And started trying out different strains and different parts of the plants on mom from the roots to the fan leaves to the trim and of course the flowers and from that became a passion and you know just a lifelong just a lifelong uh you know hobby at first that turned into 
a career, career. At the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and myself and my mom having one of the early Oregon medical, uh, it's called OMMP in Oregon, Oregon medical marijuana program cards. It gave us a lot of chance to develop and, and continue working with strains to find different, you know, aspects. We were playing around with CBD before it was even really diagnosed in a commercial lab or, yeah, it was just weed that didn't get you stoned. Exactly. We <laughs> called it the no high, but a lot of times mom wanted the medicine without having the, you know, the effects of feeling sleepy or, you know, too hungry. You know, she didn't always want to have a big appetite right, all day. Right. Or just be smoking the psych- the, psychoactive. Yeah, experience. exactly. She wanted to just have a day without it. So a lot of those no high strains, we called them, ended up being, uh, you know, in the 20, 14, 15 time frame started being uh, hemp strains that we found out were so low in THC that they actually could work as commercial hemp and grow hemp fields, letting those people in, in all the legal states at that time and eventually nationally in, I think, 2019, to where they could you know, confidently grow a strain that would not produce THC at the end and be legal hemp you know, and a legal crop for them to, to work with. But that, that was a whole nother thing, but uh, awesome thing that turned out from developing those strains for mom. And, yeah. Yeah. But back then it was really hard to get your medical. There was a three plant limit and it was a very new concept, not just in Oregon, but in America in general to have this legal cannabis that a person could get a prescription and then get a recommendation in order to get this certification Back then in 1996, it was very hard to do and you you were very limited. You had yeah. free flowering plants that could only be a certain height, I believe. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember the exact limitations then, but they, they've changed and fluctuated over of time. Of course, yeah. But yeah, getting that, that first card, mom actually got that from her physician, her surgeon actually down there. So it worked out easy for her, but it was obvious good effects and um, <laughs> good outcomes you know from it all there is one strain we called mama sue's miracle that actually seemed to put the cancer in regression wow. she did have yeah it was amazing you know her her doctor said they did some surgery on one of her kidneys and i believe removed part of it and after that she started an extreme regiment of eating the leaf and the some of the flour from this one strain that didn't get anyone high and it, at that point, you know, we assume it was CBD, which later on, uh, generations later on that, it still had a good amount of CBD, but that helped her to just do better. And the doctor said, Hey, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. She's like, well, my, my son has this, you know, this plant, this cannabis plant. And he's like, I don't really want to hear that, but you keep doing it, you know? So <laughs> at that time it was, yeah, a little more, you know, underground doctors didn't always want to talk about it. A lot of doctors wouldn't even prescribe it or have anything to do with it. Oh God. Yeah. They feared losing their licenses essentially. Yeah. I'm pretty sure California was maybe the first state. Yes. In 96. And then soon after, I think Oregon in 98 and probably a few others at that point. Sure. What Colorado and Washington. Oh, so wait in 96, this was in California. This is in California. Okay. I I first moved there. Yeah. It was, you know, long ago I moved there for, other reasons we can touch on going down for reggae concerts and see my aunt for her birthdays and she lived in Humboldt County and 
turns out bringing mom down there to, you know, there was a short supply of cannabis in Oregon at the time. So it seemed all depended on who you knew, but you know, prices were higher. It was hard to come by grows up in Oregon. We're underground. A lot of it had to be imported that people found. So there was no healthy cannabis up there. We felt and having her down there eating and consuming the cannabis, we grew organically like the gardens that heard my father always had us growing out. Okay. Pleasant Hill, Dexter, Oregon, where we lived. So, because they always grew organically and showed us that, hey, you know, you can take the manure from the animals and this sort of thing to grow, you know, healthy tomatoes, healthy zucchini, healthy, you know, broccoli that you can feel good about eating because we didn't put the chemicals and the sprays on it. You know, and so we did apply the same thing to the cannabis. And that's part of what we're talking about. We're talking about conscious cannabis cultivation. And the reason that that's important is because, you know, Josh has two careers in his life. He's a reggae promoter and he's also a cannabis grower. We're going to talk about his reggae promoter career. Don't worry. Don't worry. Cause he's interacted with every reggae legend you could possibly imagine and has a story for each one. And in some cases, dozens of stories, but we're going to get to that. But first we have to talk about his epic career. as a organic cannabis grower and why that's so important. Okay. So then you're interested in growing. I mean, you're, healing your mom you're having these experiences where you see how cannabis has these medicinal properties but when did your interest in organic growing begin because that's truly what we're here to talk about we want to educate people about this tell me when your interest in organic growing began so that really comes about at an early age when i you know like i said when i was a kid we grew up out uh right on lost creek out there in in uh, Dexter, Oregon, and we, you know, I don't know if it was out of my parents' just love of gardening or a necessity to grow food, but they taught all of us to, you know, appreciate what was coming from the land and our own hard work. We had a pretty big garden in the day. To me, it seemed like an acre. I'd have to to check with my folks. It was at least it was at least a half acre of vegetables. I mean, lots of rows of everything from peppers and cucumbers, you know, cabbage, whatever. And they had us out there working, at least myself and probably my brother Joel and Ethan and and Julie, my sister. Yeah, so one of the first, you know, memories of thinking about growing organically was when we planted my brother Ethan. We actually were out there just digging holes, playing, we think it might have been for like a fence or something. We had uh, goats and stuff. So to keep the animals out of the garden, probably chickens too. Uh, Dad was digging post holes or something, wherever it was. Maybe the brothers dug it. I don't know. But we planted my brother, Ethan. And that's when uh, mom said, oh, good thing it's organic soil. You know, because he was, it, she was kind of joking at the time. But it really stuck in my head because it was just a fun memory. Ethan buried up to his armpits, you know, a little <laughs> four-year-old sure, child like, oh. in the soil. And he loved it. Mom was mad at us and they tried to pull him out. It was probably a little dangerous. I don't know. They were straining him, pulling him out and stuff, but that's all. He was fine. And, uh, you know, you ended up growing taller than all of us too. So maybe, uh, you know, planting you in the earth had something to do with it. But from that point, it just, uh, you know, and then I asked my mom about what organic was. And that's probably when she first explained it to me. And I realized, 
you know, how good that was. Around the same time, there was also a big thing with gypsy moss in Oregon having to do with the timber and either the larva of it or the actual moss destroying timber around it. So they would come around with these helicopters and spray. Now, I don't know. I was young, so I don't know officially how it was, but there was helicopters flying over our neighborhoods out there. We were in timber country, but definitely farmland in between. And they're spraying for gypsy moss. And they'd say on the news, oh, don't let your kids out from like, you know, noon to two tomorrow. And then the helicopters would come and you'd have to, mom would be like, oh, come inside. Sometimes I remember specifically being out there watching the spray come out of them. They didn't stop and be like, oh, there's kids down there. Yeah, they just kept going. They just kept spraying because that was the (laughs) grid they were spraying that day. Uh, to me, that's mind-boggling. They go around with you know helicopter spray and just blanket the land, but that's what they did. And you know, I remember that being an issue for mom having an organic garden was that there was this spray going on, and so it all started sticking in my mind and realizing that oh yeah, this is why we got to wash our vegetables better. And you know, she just used dish soap or whatever and wash them because we had to wash the pesticides off. And to me, that always seemed extra. Like oh, you have to spray the stuff and then you take it off. Uh, I didn't put the association that people actually spray their plants and things until later on in life. Maybe when I worked at a organic flower farm in, in uh, Northern California. Is this before you were a cannabis grower? Before uh, about, yeah, before I was a cannabis grower, I, I'd probably grown a plant or something. But when I first down there and came to see my aunt down in Humboldt County to see a reggae show, I ended up realizing I wanted to stick around there. Well, to stick around, I had to get a job. I was just out of school, 18 years old, I guess, 17, 18. And uh, this nice lady down down the road from us where I lived with a nice family, they were hiring for help on their organic flower farm. And what she did was produce cut flowers for people from, you know, well, all over the country. We'd make bouquets or do bunches of, straw flowers status you know even roses sometimes and different things that um a lot of just stock flowers and and baby's breath things like that pack them up and she'd ship them off to like texas different spots in the country to to have their fresh flowers and it was real important to her and she also showed me the techniques of how to just grow and do what she was doing but organically and a lot of that you know stuck in my head and me having that prior experience at my parents' farm and everything, I realized that that's that's where I wanted to be, uh, you know, heading, growing organically. Around that same time, I'd be asking her questions, my curiosity of cannabis at that age and being in Humboldt County and seeing the culture of it around me, I realized that this was a good person to ask about cannabis. The woman herself, who owned Tranquility Lane Flower Farm, she... Actually, he was like, oh, I don't really get into growing cannabis. I'm not into it, but treat it like you would a lot of other, you know, plants. You want to keep that organic and healthy, right? If you get, especially if you're going to put it in your body. And from that point on, it was engraved in me, you know? Nice. Yeah. That's, I would say that was the root of it all. But then you did grow up in the Eugene, Oregon area, and that seemed to correlate with the organic gardening movement that was happening in Eugene and also the organic cannabis gardening movement that actually started right around that time in the Eugene area. It was always kind of underground in the seventies and eighties, but never really prevalent with nutrient lines and actually 
focused information about organic gardening as it was in the in the nineties in Eugene. And was that an influence on you as well? It was. Well? Yeah, if you remember back then, I, I know you spent time in Eugene. So yes. you know, uh, places like Sundance Nat, Sundance Natural Foods was a a well known establishment, well known, you know, store that was all organic all the time. And for a store to be all organic all the time seemed normal to me. I always thought instead of saying, hey, this produce is organic and the other stuff's conventional or just we don't say nothing about it, it should be this is the normal vegetables, the organic ones, and this stuff is conventional or here's the chemi vegetables. Chemical, yeah. Yeah, here's peppers and chemical peppers. Here's, you know, pe- uh, tomatoes and non-organic tomatoes. Right, somehow the, the labeling shift. Yes, to where we have to put it out there that it's organic that's kind of backwards to me but uh, when i was differently yeah when i was yeah when i was in high school i i actually lived right next about a block away from humble bagel and and sundance natural foods and they had organic stuff at these spots and it made more sense than going down to whatever the other store was down the road that didn't offer this you know so seeing also that there, there was a higher price paid for the organic produce and people appreciated it. So you That's, had I a, put that into also my idea of with cannabis in Humboldt County. Once I moved there, I realized that, Hey, all these people are selling their, their herb. A lot of our herbs use in miracle grow or commercial fertilizers you oh use God. for conventional stuff. And God knows what that stuff is. It's cancer yeah, causing. It didn't make sense to me. And I was like, Oh, if, you could do organic cannabis. Doesn't that get you a higher price? I mean, granted at the time, I would say majority of the people, I could be wrong about this, but the majority of people in Southern Humboldt were growing organically with, you know, local inputs and things from the forest, you know, if anything, st- good old Stutzman's manure or something like that. And, uh, which is chicken manure. But all that came together is saying, well, Hey, look, there's some people here that, are getting this price for their stuff. And my curiosity with herb working, I think full time at the time at the flower farm was like, Oh, I could just apply this to cannabis. And, and you already were in sync with organic culture in general, yeah, just, just growing and better. Growing it made sense. Yeah. It didn't make sense to do another way. Like the, the, just the easy way to segue into, it. I don't even know if I gave it much thought. It seemed like time, it was easier for, to do it the natural way, yeah, the real way. Oh wow. That in, and, and the price seemed like it would be more and the value more for organic cannabis. This is the same time when mom needed some cannabis of her own. And at times she, she's like, Oh, if you're living down there, she knew about Humboldt County more than I did at that age, her being a child of the seventies and everything. She came down there to get her medicine or, you know, ask me to bring her some at the time and all that. And if, it just made a lot more sense instead of me buying it from these people, not knowing if it was organic right, or not the control factor yeah. you're saying. So that's when I was like, look, let's just plant our own. We can do it the same way we're doing it on the flower farm. Uh, I had a spot. I had to go find a spot out in the woods at that point, out in some logging land or something, timberland, which. So you grew it gorilla style. Yeah. He had to back then in the day. I'd say majority of people did. Cause you couldn't have it near your house and have, yeah. the helicopters and the it was incredibly it's hard for people you know, to National imagine now with the, it being so mainstream and practically nationally legal but incredibly legal in most of america our international listeners i'm sorry if your country doesn't have legalization of cannabis it's 
that's terrible. You know, get some Howard's CBD oil. You know, I don't know what to tell you right now. I'm sorry. You should be able to get that anywhere. Yeah, that's some good stuff. Well, I was going to mention, I was wondering if Howard must, we know he uses some organics, at least, if not all, because he got some direct from the source of our hemp farm. Conscious cultivators, that's right. Came from our hemp farm, which is conscious cultivators, genetics for the hemps, but technically the hemp farm was Oregon Fresh Connection. So, right. Which we do sell, you know, fresh and dried CBD flour to, you know, people worldwide ourselves. Nice. Yes. If you're listening, if you're, if you're interested in literally the highest quality CBD flour, it's available right now, right here, Oregon grown. Or seed that we've developed through Oregon Fresh Connection. Right. The seeds, of course, as well. Well, let's talk about that. Actually, so your farm, you start growing organically and then from there, you just integrate that in your lifestyle. You become this grower you realize that it, this is your life path, but yeah. unfortunately it's illegal at that time. It's not illegal now here. And like we were saying, but you knew it was your life path and then boom, you went yeah. for it. Well, so yeah, that was like 95, 96, I think. And then in 96, some point, I'm not sure if she was able to get it right then or in 97, mom got her medical card for California pretty much as soon as she could. She was one of the first people in the state. I used to know what number, but I don't remember at this time. But so she she came to do that to keep me from having to do it in this guerrilla illegal way. That you know, as a mom, probably scared her or didn't want her to you know, worry about her son. She appreciated it, yeah. Uh, you know, but probably no one wants their son out there doing things that could you know in, end up dangerous for him or in jail or. It's incredibly well known that thousands and thousands of people in that area were growing illegally. And it was known that the uh, GDP of that area was mostly oh, cannabis. Yeah. yeah more so Even than the wine then. country or something down there. Yeah. And because it had different value. Yeah. Well, so that that's what, you know, that that's kind of the checks and balances of it. All though, is that at least for me personally is having the gorilla grows were nice at times and probably the first year I did all right, especially as an 18 year old. I think I was still 17 and turned 18 around harvest. And then, you know, so even a few pounds at four or 5,000 a pound was, was good for an 18 year old. I think I was an 18 wow. year old that came with maybe $20,000. And also $20, the value and, of money too, if you think all, about inflation. That's true. I, I try not to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so with the gorilla grows though, that there was a time where, uh, you know, a couple of times ripoffs would come and steal your whole crop or a good portion of it. Usually they'd take the tops Ooh. be a pretty devastating, hurtful thing to anyone. You know, there'd be families depending on it, you know, uh, single moms growing in the woods to, you know, people just trying to survive or, or do well in their life. Do you Point think is they- it was tough. And, and even, well, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think they only took the tops because they wanted to use the least amount of time and out of safety? Yeah, or it I wasn't think, generosity of some code of ethics. That no, they, they took with, yeah, they were taking what they could take because <laughs> yeah. they were in someone else's place stealing and, you know, they probably knew or they knew the value of the tops more. Right. You know, it could be a lot of things. There's who knows really. 
It was a different time. And that's all gone now. Yeah, it's gone. But but things like that happening or even camp coming in and taking our whole crop one year. And what was camp again? Camp was the camp campaign against marijuana planting, which was all over California at the time ran by the national guard. And I think the, you know, sheriff departments, wherever. Right. Where they would swoop in and and they'd utilize national guard. Yeah. They'd fly in with helicopters, find the crop. A lot of times for our crop in particular, they couldn't find a trail in because we had it pretty secure and they would drop guys in off helicopters on ropes and, you know, (laughs) go down there, cut it all down and take it off with nets. So those old photos have you seen of that? I've unfortunately had to witness, you know, my year's work just disappear like that. And when that happened, I realized, well, I can't quit my day job. You know, this at the time we're already doing like weekend warrior gorilla stuff. We start to work on nine to five, pay the bills, pay rent. Right. You know, anything we're doing then. And, and the whole thing is, uh, you realize that at that time you can't rely on it. Like a lot of people get into the cannabis industry now to even call it an industry was foreign concept back then. It, you know, if right. it was too risky, it wasn't like everyone so said, don't rely on this, you know, don't, don't count on this, uh, for your liberty and to do your well, livelihood, yeah. your livelihood. Uh, but then people were for generations. There were, there's definitely generational farmers there. When I was there, I was, you know, second, I was the same age as some of the second, third, maybe even fourth generation Humboldt farmers and and people that are calling, you know, legacy farms and things like this now that, you know, a lot of them, a few of them got to go on, but I feel the majority of them really suffered from legalization because just different ways their land didn't qualify or they weren't able to jump through certain hurt hurdles and hoops or have the funds available to to become a a legal farm. Yeah. Even though their whole family for generations has relied on this. Wow. That's interesting to think about. I mean, I think that's like that with any industry that goes legal that had, uh, underground aspects, you know, if people, that's true. Yeah. If if people aren't able to shift to the next phase of the industry's development as it becomes an industry, and unfortunately they drop off, it's sad because there's a lot of talented growers that unfortunately had to retire. But during that that's time, so, that's so unfortunate to me. Yeah. But during that time you kept it organic. You never strayed. You, well, you might've tried different things, but as you learned more about it, you stuck to your guns even more to the point where you were making your own fertilizer, not using any bottled nutrients and actually just using concentrates and just the most natural organic uh, nutrients that you could and tell me why that's so important to you and why is that important in general? But why is that important to you? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, some of the things you just mentioned came about due to necessity, I'd say like from the beginning, it was of, cheaper to use yeah. organic nutrients back then. Yeah. In ways, if you're using the local inputs and things from, uh, you know, the neighbor's horse barn, you'd shovel for them to, chicken manure from our own chickens and uh, using mulch from the forest. Uh, They call it humus to be out there gathering that up and using that, which is now a base of a lot of fertilizers or not fertilizers, but soils you buy. It's a base of that. You can, uh, we collect that up and, and use that actually for our, our beds or our holes 
you know, our, our planting of the herb was in the forest. We didn't have to, you know, for one, it was so hard to carry these bags of soil out. That's, we tried that. That seemed unnecessary, you know. And so once we, once we even did that, we realized, oh, we can't carry all these out. So we still had more we wanted to plant. We started using the forest material and said, hey, let's just, we already dug these holes. We like, you know, our shoulders are sore, our backs are tired out there digging with pickaxes and shovels, digging these holes. That was to conserve the water. We put them in the ground and we'd collect all this duff from the forest, as we called it, in burlap sacks, whatever. Me and my buddies would be out there for days collecting this mulch and in a sustainable way. We wouldn't take all of the mycelium or mulch from an area. That, that is actually where I also learned about mycelium. We le- learned at that early on stage that if we collected the stuff with all the white fuzzy in it, those plants excelled. And so we had these plants this one year, even in particular I'm, I'm talking about that we brought soil out and then we also had the collected forest mulch and some of it with this white mushroom mycelium and the mycelium ones excelled the best. The, you know, the ones in the botten soil struggled for different ways. Um, this was before it was widely known that mycelium aids in nutrient uptake. Yeah, I think before it was widely known in the cannabis industry, I'm, you know, I, yeah, before it was a big talk and there was a lot of products that, you know, you got to inoculate your soil with mycelium. We are inoculating it with the mycelium from the forest itself. And a lot of that came from knowing where the mushroom spots were to hunt in the fall. You know, so the same spots we collected were the same spots we go from chanterelles and matsutakis. And we noticed uh, the way we were collecting it, we were actually kind of spreading around the mycelium. And, and they would, the mushrooms would be more prolific year after year instead of these areas where people would go and just clear out the hillside and not, you know, let that stuff continue on. I don't know if stirring it up helped or what. But it is important for it to be organic to you. Yeah. And why is that? Tell me some of the philosophies behind your thinking. Like, why, why is it important that it's organic? I'd say the number one reason would be the health of it for all of us, right? We're going to consume something into our body. I couldn't even really imagine or contemplate, you know, smoking a petroleum-based product and in a sense saying, here, we're... Like an oil cigarette or something. Yeah, like we'd smoke something that came from, well, I don't know, you know, a non-organic cigarette probably has petroleum-based products used in it, and yeah, people do this. So to me, it's mind-boggling. It just seems unhealthy. I don't like to, you know, eat unhealthy Because foods. the unorganic nutrients have petroleum in the nutrients. A lot of them, yeah. Petroleates, right? There's different, yeah, there's different ways to make fertilizer, but that's when I really noticed that so the majority of the people that weren't growing organic were using petroleum-based for derived, you know, fertilizers. Yeah, Miracle Grow, but even the ones that were using kind I don't of know the names of them right more now, commercial uh, types of fertilizer were still using petroleum-based methods. Essentially, the salt itself is petroleum-based, and the salt I believe holds so. Yeah, the nutrients that. Uh, yeah, deliver petroleum to byproducts, probably for making gasoline and stuff to get uh, things drying out. Turns out it has lots of nitrogen and phosphorus. Sure, you can feed your plants with that, but that's not really, you know, it'll give you things that look better, maybe feel heavier, denser, you know, potentially. But in my experience, they never taste better. 
and they feel harsher and the effects can be diminished and and not as long lasting as organic and the the flavor and the feel and the harshness of it actually that's the number one thing i think with because the other end of why I love organics the smoke get the number. chemicals out of the plant matter the not tissue really. it, it becomes it it's like you are what you eat and they try to do flushing there is a flushing mechanism to they conventional growing but you can never really get it a hundred percent out i wouldn't think so right and then it's, you're smoking yeah, that right and then you yeah it's it's got to be in the plant cells at that point you think and so you're not really flushing it you could flush it from the soil possibly doesn't flushing of chemically grown plants doesn't there's probably ways it works but it's yeah it's still not as effective you're still producing something in a non-organic way there's and there's other reasons for it besides just that is that you know organic sustainable way is a better way than polluting a lot of chemicals can pollute and diminish soil over time using that out in forests like really growers were taking uh, things like these you know nutrient pellets that were chemically based and putting them out in riverbeds and creek beds and stuff out in the forests and ravines of, of Humboldt County seemed like a travesty to me. You know, here you got these nice redwood forests and just a natural pristine way that Northern California is. And then you're putting chemicals out in I this know. pristine spot. So right there, God. that just, that would make you want to stop doing it, you know? Right. Cause um, it really does introduce these toxic chemicals into these, pristine natural environments like yeah. you're saying and places where people are getting their water source a lot of people get their water out of the creeks and and even still to this day get out of the rivers and creeks of of uh, northern california and to put that in there this also happens in oregon much lesser extent i think but you know if you're using this stuff and it's running off into these streams you're only helping yourself for the immediate near future you're not helping any of the generations beyond you um you know mom always had this poster up on the wall that was this seventh generation um i wish i could remember the actual quote but a way of the, the seven Native generations Amer quotes essentially where they're talking about where everything you do you have to correct. take into account how the seventh generation from now would feel about it exactly I'm paraphrasing but yeah that's the feeling of it i think like a yeah native american way of thinking that that makes a lot of sense because you know do we really want to be messing things up for future generations i don't feel good about that no one should and i think that's where we've gotten to a lot of frustrations people have in this world today is things that were caused by future you know generations previous us just even a couple back you could say no uh, not to place any blame, blame anywhere, it wasn't everybody. it's not always thinking of it or not, maybe not knowing that chemical fertilizers would have these kind of effects. And maybe they thought they had a great new way to do yeah. things and went with it. Yeah. They're like, wow, look at this. The results are amazing. But they didn't know the after effects. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the uh, movie Idiocracy where they think Gatorade is good for you. <laughs> all the crops are watered with Gatorade. And they're like, why are all our crops not growing? So, you know, that we don't need that to happen. Well, plant medicine in general is really taking off. Psychedelic plants, mushrooms, DMT, everything's going mainstream now. It's a pretty amazing time to be alive. But cannabis itself is still a shamanic plant. I mean. True. 
it is a psychedelic in itself. It's definitely a psychedelic in an extremely high compound. Yeah, hashtag always like to use healing of the nations. And to me, it's it is a healing plant. I, I like to keep that in my thoughts first and foremost, you know? Right. So then you think about the shamanic aspect of the plant, and then you're thinking about what kind of chemicals you're introducing into the shamanic plant. Yeah. So the then, energy and the vibes into it. Yes. How you're putting that, this organic into yeah, go it. No, right? go ahead. Yes. That's you're putting this organic about. into it, which is a good feeling. You know, I, Jake here, I know he's an organic guy. He puts organic things into his body. Yes. And he wants to put organic things out into the world too. And you putting organic nutrients into that plant, feeding that is also giving it this good energy of saying, I want this to be a healing thing. It's, it's in a sense of people playing good music for their plants or something. Or right. It's more resonant with the resonant, yeah. true frequency of how the plant heals people. The vibes of it. Because it's tapping like into the most natural, the most organic, the most earth-based energy. Because you start introducing these synthesized chemicals, it messes with the shamanic frequencies. It makes it more of like a, just like another substance, like a, Less, yeah, it doesn't need to be a substance. I don't mean like. Does it seem more like commodified or less spiritual yeah. at that point? That's why I don't like people using the term rec market, recreational market. For the legal cannabis market. It can be that. It could be used to that if that's what it needs to be called. But it's so much more than that. It's not just recreational. It is medicinal. And even the people using it recreationally, I feel, are using it in that, you know, in a shamanic way where you're bringing the, the healing vibes into your own body. It's uplifting you, upliftment. You know, in reggae, they say feeling iry. It's good vibrations, you know, this kind of thing. So putting vibes into the plant is really important. Because really, it helps activate those higher frequencies. Exactly. So the cleaner the weed, the more activation exactly. you can get from it. So that would explain then in multiple states around the country, predominantly I would say 90 to 90 for 5% of the weed that you will find in dispensaries is not organic, not even close because Probably they're trying not. to maximize profits. They're trying True. to make sure they get the most yield because that is one thing that has been statistically proven that the chemical fertilizers do produce what 20% in some cases, 30%, but usually around 20% more yield. Oh, I'm sure you could get more, more weight, which yes, weight, trans, weight translates to their sales, to profits. So yeah, that if you're going to just do the numbers, see a lot of people in the cannabis, cannabis industry doing their numbers and calculations on a calculator. Right. And that's going to make more sense for you, but you're doing a disservice to the community. And I think the, plant and even yourself when you when you do it that way because then you're not you know thinking of it in those vibrations in this healing way a lot of people would see maybe see that nonsensical and you know uh, far-reaching but the people that know know and the people that enjoy truly good cannabis from good people that grow in a good way know this already and and seek this and and you know hopefully it's a trend it goes to a trend and a way of the future that we all just see this as a way and some old ways fall off like they have with other things that are unhealthy for us. 
But then you talk about the stuff that's available for the masses, like we were saying, 90 to 95%. And that stuff is the stuff that's not organic. So it's not going to fully activate them yeah. as maybe something. I wouldn't think it would. No. And then you get something incredibly organic like your farm's flower, and you're going to have an incredibly different experience. But they don't yeah. really focus on that. The yeah, organic cannabis. I feel that, you know, and this, this could be tested in ways but i feel if you grew the same strain the same plant at different farms or with different people putting their energies into it even if they're growing the same technique you're going to have different effects from that flower and different vibrations from it and that's where a lot of the whole um well you know a lot of the influences from other things like bringing music and especially reggae music you said something earlier about earth vibrations reggae is considered like a heartbeat music or the earth vibration music you know it's really grounded and grounding and playing that for plants to me seems real you know you're putting those vibes in that we're talking about that you'd want to put in generally to plants through the fertilizer and the organic inputs you do uh, we've even just you know grown plants with the native soil and no fertilizers and just good, you know, good energy into it. So, and they grew well. Yeah. They go grow great. They respond to your energy. They respond to the energy of the grower. It's really interesting. The plant itself, when you become a cannabis grower, (laughs) as I've been personally in the past, uh, I was a medical cannabis grower in my life. Um, You develop a psychic connection with the plants. So true. And strangely, you know, which ones all of a sudden you get a feeling and you're like, wait, this one needs to be watered. And then you go and then you see that one and it needs to be watered. Yeah. I feel like I've seen Jake five miles away going, I think my plant needs water right, right now. Yeah. That's <laughs> actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen this guy way in tune with his uh, garden. But there is a spiritual component to cannabis. It does activate you. That's part of the reason why you want to be organic in your cultivation because there's a consciousness behind it, the yeah. conscious cultivation. You're the conscious cultivator. So there, I feel it's like third eye opening. Yes, when you, Even when you first smoke or get into the experience of smoking, maybe not that very first time, but it, it's, it's mind opening. Some people say their mind's blown. My mind's open now. You know, you see things in a different way. Uh, you know, there's even been jokes all around the world about, oh, that guy just needs to smoke a joint. Right. It's because been said about leaders, about everyone. It does seem to stimulate spiritual thinking. Yes. Spiritual thoughts. It opens you up to understanding uh, a certain situation, maybe less, uh, lower brain function and more just kind of awareness, a higher awareness and, and like a meditation almost. Yeah. Upliftment, you know, the, the consciousness, that's kind of where the name conscious cultivators and before that conscious productions came about was, you know, that being conscious and aware and that mind opening, you know, reality actually almost originally it was going to be open mind, productions and open mind cannabis was the ideas for you know both my production company and in, in music and the the herb company just to you know 
get more to that core fact of you're opening up different ideas in your life, different opportunities, different ways of thinking, uh, taking away things like stress and anxiety from you that will be debilitating and, you know, right. blocking. So it's, it's so good in so many ways. I, it's something I can get behind and feel good about doing. I mean, I've worked other jobs in my life, <laughs> fiberglass factory and, you know, just in the restaurant industry and different things like this. And they never felt that same vibe that I feel from producing something good that I know people will enjoy and better their lives. So, right. And there is an ocean of weed out there, cannabis in multiple States and people I think don't have the awareness to ask if their flower is organic. And a lot of the times the bud tenders, as they're called, I'm sorry if your country or state doesn't have dispensaries, but the people that work there are called bud tenders. Their bud tenders will just say that the strain is organic because they're thinking of the plant matter being organic plant matter, which technically, sure, it's organic plant matter, but that's not what they mean by organic growing. So you have to be very specific. And I don't think that people have the awareness to look for this organic flower in order to have the cleanest smoking experience that doesn't have any of these petroleum based chemicals that doesn't have any of this stuff in the plant tissue yeah, that pesticides, could affect them. fungicides, things yes, like they're this. sprayed too. Let's talk uh, about that. There's a yeah. spray aspect. I'm thinking this. about that way. Talking about, yeah. This. Tell me more about that. The spraying that goes you on know, that well, doesn't happen in organic gardening though. There is forms of pest control. There is, there's but things you probably could way. do, Let's but talk to be about that. certified organic, like Oregon till standard or, or USDA organic, you, there's certain things you cannot use. Well, one, a couple of things I thought about when you were just saying that is that, you know, organic cannabis really should be the way it just is. I, I would really like to see this and have been pushing for, and would like to even start a campaign to get all things that are consumed in your, to your lungs should be like this with tobacco or anything else too. be only from organic source. I mean, that should just be the standard Oregon has. Right. Yeah. Just that should just be it. It shouldn't be a question of anything. Like they shouldn't be giving these chemical things to plants that people are going to be, you know, burning, incinerating, and then inhaling into their lungs. It makes little sense to me. Now, Oregon has done some things as far as making a lot of the non-organic pesticides you know not um not legal or not not condoned in the state you'd fail a test for using you know pesticides that are non-organic there may even be some that are allowed it's it's very confusing and the list changes a lot but you're smoking that that's smoking that even the ones that you can have that are oil-based soybean oil-based to um, isopropyl to made from chrysanthemums or different things. You can spray some of those, but you're still getting it on the cannabis, still inhaling it. What I, what we've personally done for that is I've worked over the years to develop strains where I did not need to spray. And again, it goes back to the fact that we're consuming it. My own mother was consuming it. I wanted her to be healthy and, you know, just healthy myself. I don't, I don't never have smoked cigarettes or drank alcohol or anything. Cause I, I want to keep my body as healthy as possible. So some of the strains that you grow with 
with conscious cultivators yeah, are thanks. some of these strains that you've engineered. And yeah. I, I don't mean like GMO, like just by crossbreeding. Yeah, yeah, you know, just developed natural over time methods. from breeding. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are ones that are um, pest resistant, yes. mold resistant, and things exactly. like that. And they're exclusive to your yeah. farm. Yeah, so we have. We developed things for especially our farm and other partner farms, different you know, friends I've worked with get these strains and, and I've developed these strains to where they don't need, you know, spray for powdery mildew or they can resist, uh, Oregon fall rainy day. Like, you know, we have this time of year, here it is October and you can expect rain. So you can either have some plants that could get botrytis and mold and powdery mildew or have ones that we've, developed over time to be just resistant to that and it just doesn't have the the properties that powder mildew would want to be on that that then keeps us from having to spray fungicides on our plants which a lot of farms are probably doing right now as we speak oh. all over all over legal states all over the world and you know this is it really just should not be done so are these proprietary strains that your farm has that offers you offer flour to dispensaries yeah. and things like that, but no other farms have at this, yeah, at so, least right now. Yeah, we, we are, I have licensing agreements with other farms and, and are developing with other farms in other states and, and within our state to, to utilize these strains and, and have them exclusively to their farms or, or, you know, we even have strains that we've passed out to the general public, like the alien ET, which is a big E, strain named after my younger brother, Ethan, and another strain that we knew to be hardy in Oregon, an alien kush. We developed that. It works really well outdoors. There's, I know, thousands of plants right now grown in Oregon of the strain that we released through another farm to pass out. And, you know, it's keeping people from having to spray. And they're riding out these, these you know, late rain showers we got, late season rain showers. And that would and, normally cause mold, but in these strains, yeah. they're resistant. And, yeah, and, oh, and, and they're not not having to spray on this particular. Oh, you should be strain. super proud of that. Yeah, really. Actually, that should be a lot of the thanks. I appreciate that. That should be a lot of the advertising these farms are even using that they have the strain that they did not have to spray on because uh, you know it's it it's uh, resistant to bugs and and definitely definitely almost you know. So you do have licensing agreements with other farms. They're growing these strains, yeah. But you could terminate. They are proprietary, that. yeah. You could They're, terminate that at any time, and then also it's very limited. Are you ever going to sell the genetics as clones, maybe to medical patients in Oregon or anything like that? So yeah, so the one of the first licenses we got this this year was for a nursery license to exactly do that, and what we can do is get plants out to medical patients and to dispensaries to be able to sell them to consumers that want to grow their own for legal plants here in Oregon or uh, bulk orders to different farms, legal farms across the state that want to have these proprietary strains and be able to grow in their environment, whether it be outdoors, indoors, you know, in a, temperate rainforest or you know in the eastern oregon desert point is they can have something that they can rely on to be needing le less dependent on pesticides and fungicides and sprays to where they can now offer a cleaner product to 
the stores and therefore their customers and say, Hey, here's, here's some confidence in it. You know, I, I have no control over these people growing organic or not, but the ones that are, you, you got some real healthy stuff that's going out there already. And then we also have our own strains like, Oh, you know, a, a UW strain and a juicy fruit strain, a couple good old school strains. People might've seen or heard around Oregon blackberry that are going out through our own farms on the rec market to, you know, all these different dispensaries and nice. things that you can can count on being organic. We didn't spray anything. Uh, my pops who uh, runs the farm and, you know, help, help develop a farm here in, uh, in Oregon. He was just saying the other day about how, yeah, we should be telling people we don't spray nothing on this. This is a great, you know, well, that's huge because yeah. even the natural stuff that they spray does have these strange soybean oils that have residual effects and perithiums and different things. Right. Uh, and this has nothing, which is huge. And you also do, like you said earlier, seeds, right? Yeah. For your THC flour and your CBD flour. Yeah. So the, yeah, the CBD and hemp flour we sell, uh, you know, people can buy direct from us, Oregon Fresh Connection, um, or through Public yeah. people can buy directly from Yeah, that's yeah, anywhere C B D strains. C B D hemp strains. Okay. And then in the uh uh a while back I had given a good friend a big chunk of my archive seed my uh, seed bank that I've been you know, heirloom seeds that I've archived over the years. Yes, Will Grinnell. Uh, yeah, Will Grinnell. Who was a guest on the podcast. Oh yeah. So you've had him. So yeah, he's a he's a great guy and someone that I made sure got a good chunk of my seeds long ago because he was having a seed bank and he is now releasing a lot of those from the seed bank. A lot of our heirloom genetics, deepgreengenetics.com. And uh, he's got some specials on there and different releases. He releases these strains at time. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, that I'm pretty sure is available to anyone as souvenirs or, or however they want to, handle that but <laughs> right now he's got a bunch of good good strains out there on deepgreengenetics.com yeah deep and that's the thc strands yeah ones like uh, juicy fruit you can see there uh, uh purple haze you can find the big e wow which was yeah particularly developed like i said in honor of and for my brother ethan so uh, so it, however people do it if they are interested in those thc strains they can find those yeah. There, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. We'll yeah. circle back to that, but I did want to talk about how there's the music of cannabis. So you have this cannabis; it's spiritual, it's a shamanic plant, it's a mild psychedelic. It can be diminished by chemical cannabis growing, but you grow it organically. It's at full strength, and then there's a r music. There's a music that was developed with the cannabis. It was oh, developed yeah. in Jamaica. Everyone knows it around the world. It's reggae music. Yeah, and you were a reggae ganja. concert promoter yeah. for many years on the West Coast. Yeah. Let's talk about Just that. Even had a, we're going to segue into conscious promotions. How did you like that segue? I kind of circled it around. Yeah, that was great. Now we're talking about reggae we, music. That's right. We touched earlier on how I, I like to play reggae music for the plants. And even what brought me to Humboldt County was uh, a great you know, <laughs> world renowned reggae show, reggae on the river. Yes. And when I, when I went there, I was still in high school, went there, saw my aunt for the, 
for the summer and got invited to work on site and dig trenches for all the, the water lines at Reagan on the river. And then, you know, I didn't really know too much about it. I don't think I'd been to an actual reggae show up until then. And, uh, first one being, uh, Friday night, or I guess it was Saturday night at Reagan on the river. It might've only been a two day thing back then. Uh, one of the first artists by the, by the time I got there, uh, and saw was this artist, Pato Bantan. And he, was that was just, the first artist you saw. Yeah. There. Very, very first artist. I think wow. I've seen live on stage playing reggae anyways. And wow. it, it just, he had so much energy and, and, uh, really, really blew my mind. And, you know, actually it's Pato Bantan's birthday today. Now I think about wow. it. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Pato. Pato. Go Pato. Yeah, and the song I think that really stuck in my mind. He was We're saying, recording this October fifth, people. Just sorry. Yeah, so you know, it's Pato's birthday. <laughs> just something I happen to know. And he uh, was playing the song called "I Do Not Sniff the Coke, I Only Smoke." Sensimia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was just learning about Sensimia then, which is Sensimia for those who don't know. Another is, word for high grade cannabis. Well, it's seedless. Seedless, right? Seedless. So. I think a lot of time it was just always seeded herb. And then once they discovered Sensimia, they're like, Hey, this is what we want. This is high grade. So it is, it is synonymous with high grade. Um, at that point that really stuck to me because I was already knew at that age. I, I never wanted anything to do with, you know, drugs and stuff. I was in high school in America. You see all the different drugs and stuff people go through and episodes they have with it. And I knew I was never going to smoke the, or sniff the Coke. I was only going to, Ever, if anything, spoke the smoke the Sensimia. So that stuck to me. Seeing Pato, um, I believe also, you know, there's some other artists there that I really enjoy. Uh, Culture was there, I'm sure, and Barrington Livy, and yeah, also good. And that really, at that moment, watching Pato, I was like, wow, why isn't this happening up in Oregon? I never seen anything like this happen in Oregon. There was no reggae shows that were pretty prolific really. at that time. No, no, con- no, at least no festivals like that. There was an attempt at one, one year at uh, a state park that didn't really, it might've went off, but it didn't become reoccurring. So I thought, Hey, this is the kind of, uh, at that moment, I'd say I was having what a lot of people call an epiphany. You know, I was probably already smoking some good Southern humble Emerald triangle cannabis, uh, loving the ganja in the moment, hearing this artist sing about ganja right then. And it all just came together for me. I was like, this is, this is what I need to do. And more so than even growing really in my mind, I thought the growing was just a way to get the funds and the ability to throw these shows, not necessarily as a way of life. I saw the throwing the concerts and bringing music to the people and consciousness to the masses as I'm receiving this consciousness in the moment. I'm saying, hey, this is what I need to do to get it. Like, this is my life mission. I need to just become a concert promoter, I guess. Wow. So I thought that figure moment, how, yeah. how to bring this reggae music to people that had never heard it before. True. Because it was so impactful for you. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, it's it, so impactful. It, it was, you know, I didn't have the name Conscious Productions at that time, but this is probably four years or so before conscious productions. I know even for a couple seasons, uh, seasons being gross seasons in Humboldt <laughs> County, uh, when I was down there working, I'm sure I talked my buddy's ears off about 
oh, I'm gonna do these shows and do these shows. Yeah, and 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 one of my good buddies, Jason, he's like, ah, oh, you can just keep always talking about it. You can do something. And honestly, that was that was a really good moment because I was like, oh, I think I will. Pretty much next time I talked to him, a few months later, I was handing him over, or I might have even mailed him a couple tickets to my first show. So it was really like a, a little boost I needed to hear. But yeah, that was kind of fun. That was out in the patch. I remember the moment clearly. And so I said, well, all right, you're right. I'm going to sell a couple of these pounds and I'm going to ask you know, some of my favorite artists. And one of the artists I called is pre-internet or about the time the internet was coming out. And uh, Clinton Farron had a fan, a fan. Clinton Farron. Clinton Farron. Yeah. Of the, Clinton Farron of the Gladiators. Yes. And at the time. Boogie, Reggae legend. Yeah. Legend, bassist, and foundation member of, of all reggae music, in my opinion. And he said that, well, he had a hotline calling artists, uh, what do you call them? Let's say, so like, it was just a, a hotline on a phone, you know, like a fan mail line. Oh, wow. Yeah. So instead of websites or, you know, even for MySpace or anything like that, artists had like hotlines, I guess. And he had one. I called it and said, wow, it's cool. I get to leave you a voicemail. I'd really love to have you come do a show in my town, Eugene, Oregon. I'm going to be up here for the winter. Let's, let's try this out. And about three weeks later, my girlfriend at the time answers the phone says, Hey, there's a guy Clinton Farron on the phone. You want to talk to him? And I'm like, I about, you know, lost it. Here's one of the reggae legends that I've been hearing about for years in in uh, Humboldt County and seen him at some shows there, probably at the Mateel or Reg on the River. And I'm like, Wow, this guy just called me to do a show and he said, Yeah, let's try it out. You know? Line up a, a venue and a in a hotel room and send me some money or whatever, you know? And so however, however he said it, he trusted, he trusted me to make it happen. And I said, well, I don't have much money now, but if I sell some things for my crop, you get down here, I might have it. Sure enough, things worked out. He showed up. I was able to actually sell enough tickets for the show. We just used the tickets to pay him, pay the venue, pay everything. At that time, I think I was still, you know, under 21 so we had to do the show at all ages venue just so myself and my friends could all come to this thing which we wanted to be a conscious event and a, and a conscious idea became a conscious productions that's where that name came from of us trying to bring enlightenment and upliftment to people you know in a sense wow. another way to have healing of the nation and so we we had to do this in an all ages venue well funny side thing is we couldn't find one but my friend was, uh, my good friends, Mike and Shannon, were having a ballroom that they did weddings at. And they said, oh, sure, you can come out here. And, you know, these are high school friends of mine. We're all 19, I guess. And started throwing, you know, shows at this spot. Uh, about a month later, we did a show with Apple Gabriel, one of the greats from and foundation members of Israel, Israel Vibrations. Yes. And... This this man was a complete legend in my eyes and just split from his band and was doing a solo career. I was able to pick up uh, tour dates for him. He said, well, I'll come do a show for you. I heard you got this ballroom that you just did a show at from Clinton. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, we're just getting around. This is great. How about you, uh, you know, come in however long it was and 
he says, well, I'll, I'll come out and do a show for you if you get me like five, six other shows because I got to have a week's worth of work. I can't just come out for one night. Right. And that's when I decided, well, let's try to do this in all these other shows. My my second show of all time was at a place called Cafe Tomo uh, right there on Arcata Square in Arcata, California, which is you know just a fun, awesome thing for me. This is all in 1999 still, I believe. Wow. And you know, did a few shows with him, uh, Apple Gabriel, places like Ashland, uh, Missoula, Montana, Seattle, you know, Portland, Bend, what up? yeah, those, these kind of spots. And it kept going, right? Yeah, it just the, kept going. Through the 2000s, you're putting on shows, you're interacting with all these different reggae legends. Tell yeah. me some other really interesting stories or some of the really profound One of the best things, things that, that happened you've learned from, right from these guys. Oh yeah, so much. I mean, so much good advice. That I very- mean, Von Benjamin. I mean, the legendary deceased oh, yeah, to- singer of Midnight, the band Midnight. Yeah, you were very good soul. friends with, and you have a lot of stories. Tell me some of these stories. Yeah, I had a lot of good times with Von Benjamin. You know what? One of the best things, even that first show though, with Clinton, he said, "You know, hey, watch out for the snakes in the industry." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, he's like, I know you're loving this, but it's all fun and games." He said the music industry is known for taking advantage of the people putting the good work out there. So just be aware of that. And I was like, okay, that's, that's good advice. And something I always held on to, you know, and something I gleaned from that. Well, um, you know, I come back to something on that later, but it's just one thing that really stuck with me. And, and each artist really gave me a piece, a tidbit of knowledge that helped develop my way of thinking and my mind and develop conscious productions into what we wanted to do. The day after that Apple Gabriel show or tour run we did, which was just the second artist I'd worked with, I get a call from uh, Family Man Barrett at the time was was doing some calling around trying to get shows for the, might have been Bob's 50th birthday, I believe. Bob Marley's 50th birthday. Yeah, Bob Marley's 50th birthday. I'm thinking, thanks for for that. I forget that we're talking (laughs) to a lot of people here. And, you know, when I got that, I got that call. He's like, Oh, this is, this is family man or, you know, whatever he said. I knew who it was, but I was just shocked. And he goes, yeah, I heard you did a show with Apple and Clinton Farron. Well, it should be easy if you want to do a show with the Whalers. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, I'd love to do a show with the Whalers. He's like, do you think you'd do February 6th? There's a couple months out. And I'm like, Oh, February 6th. That's Bob's birthday. And he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That is Bob Marley's birthday. And I was like, of course they'll do a show. And he goes, yeah, wow. this is going to be the biggest reunion of the band since Bob's passing. We're going to have all the remaining original members, you know. Um, and there's so many people there. It was Wired Lindo and you know, Family Man himself and Al Anderson. Chinna Smith. Uh, Ty- I'm not well, Chinna might have been there, but Tyrone Downey. I did meet Chinna. He could have been on that tour, actually. You're right. Uh Marcia Griffiths was there singing backup. It was wow. it was beautiful. She gave me a lot of good advice that night too, and really, uh, you know, she was probably in her fifties at the time or something, and she was really wanting to like. She's like, "Oh, I could tell you're new at this. Stick with me. I'm going to show you some things." And gave me a lot of just advice. Like during the night of the show, she was she's like, "Just let's just stick together." And she would like hang out with me and help me, you know, with different situations they arose with the band. Someone coming asking something, or maybe. Um, we had my mom at the time working the front gate, you know, taking all the money for everyone. Cause you know, he, well, who, who can you trust better mom? Right. So 
while <laughs> mom was watching the front and there'd be some issues come up with some people um i don't know just for whatever reason stuff with the guest list or people trying to negotiate and take a price and i remember marcia going up there and sitting next to mom and there's probably a picture of this somewhere and, and helping her take ticket sales and stuff and saying look this is let me help you guys this looks like looks like your third show or something like oh it is our third show and you know really really helped tune us in and so at that point and she put out a lot of good word for me in the industry too and told other artists um at times i believe my mom and her would talk and i would talk to her to say hey i'm talking thinking about working with this artist can you put in a good word for me and she oh yeah no problem i'll tell them about you guys and stuff and Marcia Griffiths, just for people that don't know, she was one of Bob Marley's backup singers, one of the I-3s, but also had an incredible solo career and is an incredible artist in her own right, Marcia Griffiths. She's amazing. Yeah, she is. She's an amazing artist. Uh, Electric Slide is one of her, her big hits that a lot of people would have heard of. So tell me some of the other things that you've learned, though, over the years, because you've done probably close to 100 reggae shows with pretty much all the artists that have all the artists that were touring at there, times some and, of the new ones even but definitely yeah, and even artists that weren't touring yeah sometimes i bring artists out of semi-retirement or artists that just didn't tour like apple was one and uh someone like queen omega i helped get some of her first shows out here tell me about a good that festival show um queen uh, omega she was an artist you know i probably learned about her somewhere on when everyone started sharing music and stuff, probably even on MySpace, I bet you. It's one of the good things to come out of MySpace there was, was learning about her and seeing that she was a big artist from uh, Trinidad and Tobago and really probably didn't have a way to get out this way except for an event like a big festival like Sierra Nevada Music Fest or Reggae on the River or something like that. And at one point I became... A booking agent for a festival here in Oregon and eventually helped found and, and produce it to where I was had the chance to bring someone like Queen Omega like hey we can invite you over uh, a good friend in the industry or my friend Tula was working getting passports for people and, and made sure she's like oh I got this one's passport already have her come out so we are able to introduce people on the west coast and in Oregon to someone like this great artist, if you guys don't know her, look her up, Queen Omega. I think she actually just she's actually dropping a new album or single this this week, actually. Point is, you know, it gave me an opportunity to bring people and their message. I really I really felt the message and the words someone like Queen Omega was saying, or one of my good friends, President Brown, who his music spoke to my my inner thoughts, like the things I, I wanted to say to people and help them understand that sounded kind of over the top at times, like people that were in their conservative ways of thinking would think it was, um, you know, like you're just kind of out there on some high spiritual levels. And, and a lot of people think of that as a, you know, they just don't understand if they don't jive with it, they have a hard time connecting with it. So this man, when his music was putting that out there, same with Queen Omega, same with the man Von, Von Benjamin that of Midnight that, that Jake brought up. They were really saying things that I'm like, I got to help them get their word out and people to hear this. At that point, it really ingrained in me that, that was the, that's what I needed to do is, is have 
artists that are putting themselves on a on a on a way and putting themselves out there, their inner thoughts. If I can't do that myself, at least I can help them get to the people and bring the massive in front of them. And it activates people and you're helping yeah. activate people because you're bringing them this special spiritual music yeah. that all comes from the cannabis, you know, inspiration, the cannabis smoking and, and what they do as they're writing this yeah. music. That's right. That's where, uh, that's where all this is, is definitely going. But in your career, you did interact with some of the Marley family. I know you did a show with Kimani Marley. We smoked a joint with Kimani Marley yeah. and you together many years ago. But tell me a story. Tell uh, me your like John. was like a birthday extravaganza, that one. Yeah. That was uh, on my birthday. 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Or 13. Man, the Almost time exactly. Flies. That's really interesting. That's interesting. You brought, yeah, the Kimani one was nice because that was a little tour run I got to do with them ending up down in Humboldt County, California, where it always seemed to come back to for me. The Humboldt, Oregon, reggae, ganja connection is just so deep with me. I mean, it's kind of ingrained in everything, but from the herb being so pristine in both spots to the, to the show's of reggae artists being so well received in both spots was amazing. You know, uh, there was one thing you were talking about as far as bringing artists around Queen Omega is one of them that I really got to, you know, get inspired by and then help bring to the West coast, particularly Oregon, I think for her first show and, you know, other artists that would hear over time. Uh, I think at the Queen Omega show, I met this, uh, aspiring artist Joss Sun, who happened to live in Arcata, California, when I did, and he wanted to put himself out there. I was able to get him some of his first shows, actually his very first festival appearance, which uh, very first uh, festival appearance, which put him in a sense on the map for other promoters and and people. And you know, his message was one of positivity and and raising consciousness that I was again able to bring out, and from you know. There went to an artist, you know, like I said, I already helped bring President Brown to places like Hawaii and and stretch out that inspiration and that music that were the really energy of to, reggae. Yeah, the the upliftment. The you know, it's it's more than feeling iry. It's it's really about a way of life and evolving spiritually to you know evolve and just be a a better human and you know elevate our minds our souls all of it and these artists that are putting their life work into it 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 just seemed it was the least i could do by by helping them on the like on the ground so to say or or behind the scenes orchestrating the shows or just having a role having yeah, a just having any role i was honored to help facilitate oh, that honor. energy to set up the venues to set up these situations dozens and dozens of times. And you have some funny stories. I want to hear your John Baptiste story. He was a promoter in the Northwest famous in this area, at least for doing a show at the gorge in the year 2000 that featured members of the grateful dead and Ziggy Marley. But tell me the story that you have uh, about John Baptiste and the deceased singer apple gabriel who was a part of the legendary reggae band israel vibration tell me about that well that 
That was interesting because, well, for those that don't know, Apple Gabriel is always considered a rude boy. He was maybe even one of the first people to coin that term, rude boy. I, I might not even say that, but to the rest of the world. Like a tough probably, guy. Yeah, it was a, you know, a term used in Jamaica. You know, it's probably where he got it from. And whether other people consider it or not, I've seen things myself to justify that it was. But, uh, you know, they're the first first day of the show a tour run i did with apple was you know i had heard this stuff about him that he's a rough guy to work with and rude boy he and i got along great he was you know a solid artist he rehearsed he knew what he was doing he had been in the industry long enough to know riff raff from you know honest true blue people but uh that first show we went to in arcada there was a little trouble getting paid from the artist. I think they were maybe what it was. It was a sold out show. And with a sold out show, there should be a bonus for an artist. He's like, Oh, go collect my artist. And I went back there and the guy's like, Oh, um, I don't think, uh, I don't think I have any money left over from whatever, you know? And I go back to Apple telling this and he says, no, let's go. And we go back into the kitchen like, hey, this this is, I need to talk to you. We walk back in there, and he pulls out this uh, knife that's sitting on the kitchen and said, give us our money, you know? And I'm like, whoa. And he, like, grabs the guy, and, you know, Apple Gabriel's man that, um, you know, his, his legs were damaged from polio and, and couldn't walk very well, but he got up on this guy and, and kind of tossed him over the uh, prep table, you know, in the kitchen, and the guy coughed up some money real good, and, Later told me that, yeah, he was just holding out on us. He did have the money. He thought he could just, we didn't need it or whatever. Well, a couple, few nights later, we end up in Seattle on a tour night. Actually, we ended up maybe the Ballard Locks. I can't remember which one was first, but we ended up there for a show. And there's this artist, um, some artist playing at a venue. Wish I could remember the name, but it was owned by that guy, John Baptiste. And... Bohemian is where it was. And he talked Apple personally, aside from talking to me, to come in and doing a guest appearance at his show, even though we already had a show that night, and showed up there, did a guest appearance for some sum of money. And at that point, um, Apple went up, did the show, little four or five songs with another artist, came off the stage, and he goes, I need you to come with me. And I go, okay, he's, he says, you got a knife, right? And he pulls out his knife. And I'm like, oh, man, we need a knife for this? He goes, yeah, I have a feeling this John guy's not going to pay us. And he goes walking up with his knife out. And John Baptiste sees this is backstage or maybe in an upper dressing room. I can't remember where. This guy sees Apple walking up kind of the way he does with a knife in his hand just reaches into his pocket and pulls out some hundreds and starts counting right there and hands <laughs> Apple his money. And, and Apple's like, okay. And, you know, I don't know if all this was necessary, but the guy got paid and, and no one was really messing with him. So Whoa. that's just kind of my funny John Baptiste story because, you know, basically said, oh, this guy's not going to pay us. And he's just there was a lot back of up. shitty business dealings going on in that industry, more so than in other genres of music, well, it seemed. That people I wouldn't wanted. say that as much. I, I no, I don't agree with that. I think there was a couple more people okay. picking on uh, the sharks preying on, and that goes back to what Clinton Ferentz said. 
I even think you may have been mentioning that guy, John, up in Seattle anyways, because that's where Clinton Farron was home-based out of and probably already worked with him. But, you know, so he there's really more just a few bad seeds try to ruin the bunch. And the problem was is they were taking advantage of people that were putting out good consciousness and like, oh, these people are so nice, you know, that, hey, maybe easy to they're a pushover we take advantage of they're just nice guys apple was really a nice guy raising consciousness but he wasn't going to put up with bullshit from a you know snake in the industry right right but there were cool people and you've also way cool people you know met almost like almost like guru type prophet people like joseph hill joseph hill joseph hill is one of the most vaughn benjamin bunny whaler Bonnie Whaler and Anthony B and Anthony B. You yeah, he's a good have one too. Some great stories about Anthony B. Tell me an Anthony oh, B. story. Man, I got great stories about all those. I got a good Bonnie Whaler cannabis story. I'll tell you about. Here okay. At the, okay. Maybe when we wrap it up at the end, you have to remind me. But uh, I was just reminded of that one the other day. <clears throat> as far as uh, Anthony B., I was able to have him. I mean, I get the fortunate opportunity to work with him numerous times. Well, even before that, because I, I did mention Joseph Hill, I just want to say that guy inspired me a lot. Of to culture, really, the band culture. Yeah, world-renowned. He had a song called International Herb and really was a spokesman, uh, you know, like people like Peter Tosh and, and Bob Marley in the day, you know, singing about and speaking about the herb. He really put himself out there from early on, like 70s probably, talking about ganja. And he he really inspired me to keep going. And also, you know, he let, he let me know in a couple of shows I did with him in like 2001, that it was a good thing and, and all right. And it since gave me a blessing to have the herb and the ganja, you know, the urban ganja and the music industry mixed and intertwined in my life to where one helped the other. If it wasn't for that, you know, I might've fell off of one or the other, but he really, he really put that in my mind. And from that point, I kind of went into a a really aggressive and and gung-ho approach to throwing shows and was even doing a couple shows a month. Sometimes I do, if I had a tour going through, I'd do, you know, 10 shows a month or so in various cities. And, you know, that led to working with the likes of, uh, like me, 2005, a good friend of mine, Ross Danny up in Portland, he said, man, you really got to check out this artist um, or this group Midnight. And I was like, I never really heard heard of him. Maybe I'd heard of him briefly, but point is, he he brought up that you got to really put out and try beyond what we already know. A lot of this comes into uh, you know developing my mindset of of exploring different artists in the music industry that I'm all already caring about to to bring it in and, and putting a risk with artists like midnight queen omega, uh, you know, ones like that, like same way we do with, with cannabis strains, like putting that risk out there and trying it, not just always going for the comfort zone of having the artists that we all know we, you know, like you truly nurtured the scene. It wasn't yeah. necessarily just a p- promoting the big names that you knew were going to sell tickets. You wanted to also help jumpstart some of these people's careers yeah. And help bring attention to some of their incredible music because all of the artists that you've mentioned, you can 
put them into Spotify or Tidal or whatever you use or even YouTube and find their music. And they're all incredible artists with incredible music. Yeah. It's all conscious music. There's a consciousness in the music True. that that seems to intertwine with the consciousness of the cannabis, like the the cannabis that you create yeah. with your farm, your family's farm. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it just the bringing something to the plate, bringing something to the people that that they can take and utilize how they want, you know, whether it be lyrics in a song to the way you feel when you smoke a joint or you know eat some cannabis in a brownie or something you know whatever that does to bring you to an open mind and an open state that you can evolve and go outside your box beyond and grow from where you're at is is really the inspiration for it all and When I had a chance to work with Vaughn Benjamin that, that early time, I, I took a chance with him. We did a show, and I, I really learned that, wow, this guy is trying to open, in a sense, open channels to another dimension or universe. He's like trying to do something different than just singing and talking to people. Opening a portal. We talk about that Opening in the a portal. Man world a lot. Yeah, I think, I believe he yeah, he has a uh, album called Portals. And, you know, I really saw it in that first show that, my friend Ross Danny talked me into doing. I was a little hesitant. I had some money from a herb harvest and was able to, you know, put in my part to help him produce it and actually make it happen. Once that happened, I realized, oh, I, we got to do more of this. And when I invited Vaughn back to a, you know, event out in the woods in the forest one time, I said, hey, me and my good friend Julius, who brought him with us, we both felt this way. We're both in the cannabis industry and we, we looked at this guy and said, "Hey, this is this is your spot tonight. The veil the veil is thin tonight. You could feel the energy, the veil between worlds, the veil between, you know, consciousness and our our real world, which is so intertwined yet also separate." It, you know, I said, "Hey, this is this is your chance to do what you want with it." And he said, "Ah, oh, I needed to hear that because that's exactly what I'm trying to do." You know, he's like trying to make this veil thin and i said at that moment yeah this has been always my dream to make that that veil thin so we can step over into heaven and have that realization that heaven's here on earth you know which is something that i believe all these artists have helped me realize at some moment waves we've all felt at some of our happiest moments in life and to realize that moment that really heaven whatever you want that to be or or however you want to call that, Shangri-La, you know, Eden, it is here. Eden began here. It's still here. We're here. It's the way we perceive it. And with the cannabis, and especially conscious cannabis with good intention and healing vibrations into it and the good music, you're getting closer to that realization and even the chance of all of us accepting that at one time and just really living it. And being it, and it helps reset that spiritual center. Yeah, and it helps yeah, get you cleared out, and helps you reconnect with the divine energy that that creator frequency. That's I think that's part of cannabis's purpose, and the spirit of cannabis's purpose is to really keep you in alignment with the divine. And you see these people 
in India, uh, some of these holy people that smoke cannabis hash actually constantly. And That's also right. in Jamaica, they're That's right. incredibly the spiritual people and they're smoking incredible amounts of cannabis because it keeps you in that spiritual frequency. It keeps you in that divine frequency. I know, that's why I smoke cannabis. I know that's why I've been smoking cannabis this entire episode because I want to say that's right. <laughs> and the cannabis frequency, as we talk about this, and I know it's been very stream of consciousness and we're just kind of in the flow, but we've talked about some really amazing things. We've talked about a lot of incredible things, but I really want to leave people with one big solid point. Why do you think the most important reason is that people should seek out, organic flour and make that the part of their cannabis consumption. Like why should they go all organic from now on? It's the right thing to do for what reason? Spiritual, physical, for all those. Yeah. Mental. I mean, you know, if you want to feel good about the things you're doing in life, then you got to start with the simple things like the right choices as far as what you're going to, the right choice, of what you're going to put in your body, the right choice of where you're going to spend your money right choice of things you're going to listen to and subject your children and your families to, you know, all those things go hand in hand. I mean, we're not even talking about things as far as what you subject those around you to by not supporting organic, you know, someone else's land next to that non-organic farm is getting tainted. Sure. It might not be your problem and it's not even the, maybe the farm's problem, you know, that's all an opinion but you're affecting those around you there. And then if you're smoking non-organic cannabis, you're also subjecting people around you to that. Really? Yes. When you're sharing. Yeah. When you're sharing, you're going to pass that joint and give someone something that's not the healthiest, you know, or are you the kind of person that also likes to make an organic sandwich for your friend? (laughs) You know, are you going to give them some non-organic cannabis to smoke? That doesn't really, too much it doesn't make too much sense but you know to each their own but probably the number one reason is number one reason is the what what's happening to our earth and environment with all of us humans here using and putting back and not thinking of that seventh generation rule that we mentioned earlier of thinking about what the generations beyond us are going to have to deal with because we want the easy route or the little bit better route, you know, it, it just really doesn't make sense. I'd like to see as far as, you know, conscious organic cannabis cultivation, you really got to hope that people see that and organic cannabis will start being, uh, you know, demanding a better price and making it more worthwhile for the farmer to actually switch because that weight doesn't matter if he can get more price for his less weight of organic cannabis. That to me would be a dream. It might be a far-fetched dream, but you know, together people can figure that out. I'd like to see regulations go towards that really and just demand that all farms be organic. It would really level the playing field for all farms and, and have it be you know, the the competition would be different to where if you're all growing organic, then it's going to pan out the way 
you want and the price is going to get better for right the then you, you know, know everything's exactly more the way the, yeah the real growers are the ones that are going to thrive not the very easy to grow chemical yeah cannabis that's putting out things there. out there that's just a farce like a lot of these states uh you know california and oregon in particular talk about it or over uh production if you put that more on all organic stipulations then the production would probably go down but there's obviously more than we need anyway. So it it would work out better for everyone. Well, do you hear I'd that? I really like people, to see this work out. If you out. go to a dispensary, if you're a person that shops for weed in a dispensary, please where it's ask legal, for organic. Demand organic. Don't yeah, just, just ask for it. it. Demand it and demand that it's certified because then you know that it's actually organic. Don't just take them at their word. Find the farms, get the names of the farms, research the farms. They'll put it on their website and then you know exactly what you're putting in your body. And Josh, I want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, we could talk this forever. Is awesome. I know. We'll have to do this another time. I got stories. Conversation. But you know, that's what we love to do is introduce people and then have them back again because they're there. You have such I know, a I might have to save that uh, funny whaler story for next time. <laughs> well, maybe we should. There you go. We'll save it for the next time. But I do want to tell people where to find you. Of course, your seeds, the, if you're able legally or how, however they do it, I'm not sure. But if you're able to get his genetics, his THC genetics, you can get it at deepgreengenetics.com. That's deepgreengenetics.com. Uh, and just check your local laws and, and see how that all works. And of course, for the CBD hemp, just look up Oregon Fresh Connection. And you will find that. And you can, of course, hit them up on Instagram, uh, which is at Conscious Cultivators. So that's the at symbol and the word Conscious Cultivators, all one word, Conscious Cultivators. And there you can find it. And send them a message. If, you, if you're confused, you want to know where to find Deep Green Genetics, their big E the U dub these these strains that are not needing any kind of pesticide the stinky pink the sticky pink <laughs> stinky pink yeah. really yeah. heritage legacy strains that have been cultivated for a really long time if you want to find those check those out and so man thank you for being on the show yeah. you know like, what i got to mention also is yeah, that please. what all this inspiration is really uh culminated, uh, culminated yeah. into the chance for uh this new festival to come about that jake and i are working on yes earth dance Revolution festival up in washington let's hope that, people you know 20 it gives us something to work on that we're trying to put out there more conscious music conscious reggae music conscious music of all genres that will be you know out there for the people and and really being conscious as a lifestyle you yeah make conscious choices make conscious we decisions. put a lot of thought and energy into this to make yes, this a and, thing and, and you know we're talking about this music festival that we're working on and i will tell you people about it more don't worry people we're just a little yeah that's just there. a little tease right there because they <laughs> couldn't go without saying that all this is you know coming to a head it's something that should be spectacular for all people just putting that in your consciousness, people worldwide. And of course you, we talked about blue Cobra CBD, which of course is amazing. Please check that out. Get your free bottle, email him, get your free bottle for the love 
of whoever your deity is worldwide, they're they're there wondering why you're not already emailing Big H Howard and getting this free bottle of Blue Cover CBD oil. Do that, and everyone, we'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth. Thanks. <laughs>